in cell biology, just a, a really big part of it has been, you know, I, I see in biology so many themes and patterns that extends to human life. Patterns of community, patterns of diversity, parts working together. There's so much cooperation and reciprocity that goes into being alive. and correspondence about spiritual de- and reconstruction. Season 3, Episode 12, Refrain. Hello everyone, on behalf of Derek, Jamie, John, and myself, Kevin, welcome back. This week follows our previous episode, and not just in sequence, but in substance, or at least motif. Just as with last week, I found this conversation to be a reorientation of everything we do here with the airing of grief, something which speaks over all of the various stories we've been featuring for nearly two years now speaks to the process that each of them give voice to, like a refrain. So, from last episode's conversation with a clinical psychologist, we turn now to a conversation with a molecular biologist. From the cycles and rhythms of growth and how they sit alongside trauma to now probe deeper, smaller, into our very cells to see what they have to say about release and surrender, about context and adaptation, and how we're sustained by the things we let go of, along with the new things we grasp. In commitment to process, the patterns of evolution emerge, weaving unities within diversities, and teaching us about just how experience changes us. Let's get into it. about this. Is it interesting? Is it important? For the human being to realize that in some sense of the word, whatever it means, he is God or one with God. Well, the importance of it is this, that to know that you are God is another way of saying that you feel completely with this universe. You feel profoundly rooted in it and connected with it. You feel, in other words, that the whole energy which expresses itself in the galaxies is intimate. It is not something to which you are a stranger, but it is that with which you, whatever that is, are intimately bound up. That in your seeing, your hearing, your talking, your thinking, your moving, you express that which it is which moves the sun and other stars. Hello. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Kevin. How's it going? I know your current work deals with 
laboratory science and transformation and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. But let's orient that now with some of the past. You want to walk us through some of the origins and, and all of that stuff? Yeah, yeah. My story begins very similarly. I, I have found with many other post-fundamentalists or ex-evangelicals. I grew up in Pennsylvania, here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in a fundamentalist evangelical Christian church. And my parents were part of the Jesus movement. And I, I find that a lot of others who are similar a similar age as me kind of have roots in this this era mm-hmm. of time. Mine when, were too. Really? Yeah. 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 And a lot of the rigid structures in religion that weren't working anymore for my parents, you know, a lot of those rigid structures were thrown off around this time. And, th- and that's what drew them. That's what brought them in to an evangelical form of faith. They were both raised Catholic, and that tradition was never meaningful to them. It was always very empty and ritualistic. And when they found the born-again gospel message, that resonated with them. And to them, that was an opportunity to throw off this old rigid structure that didn't have meaning, that didn't have life in it for them, and to take on something of their own, to give it, to give their faith a new life. In the past few years, as I've discussed my faith journey with my parents, I have found so many parallels between the reasons that they left the faith of their childhood and the reasons that I've left the faith of my childhood. Rigid rules, rigid structures that don't allow for change over time. Around the time that I was in college was when I realized what I actually believe is so far from these forms and structures I was given that I I really can't call myself a part of this anymore. You get to a point where you're just looking around you and realizing how big the world is. Mm -hmm. So those structures couldn't hold me anymore. They couldn't hold my actual experience in the world. You can't lie to yourself for very long. Our experiences, I don't think, really prove what is true, but they can certainly prove what is false. You know, uh, our experiences show us This structure that you have, it's not big enough, it's not expansive enough to fit your actual lived experience in this world. It was several years of wrestling with that and trying to shove away this knowledge that I had from my own experience. But over time, you can't keep doing that very long, right? 
Yeah. yeah. In those circles, you're made to feel strange if you're changing because there's such a yeah. resistance to it. I was part of a pastoral staff where I was considered the weirdo because my theology was constantly evolving. Um, mm. And then and people would say that was a measure of my arrogance or something like that. And, and I would think, I thought more and more, like, how is that the case when I'm willing mm. to change? And yes. you, have, yeah. you have taken a prideful position on being unwilling to change. And how strange is that actually that, you know, I've, I've believed exactly this way for 40 years and nothing's changing that now. I mean, when I was normalized to it, I I respected that, but now that seems so alien and so foreign to me. We'll keep chipping away. We'll keep adding things to our philosophies and chipping away at the things that don't work. That type of change and transformation, I mean, it's present in, in everything that's alive. This drive toward growth and change is present in everything in nature. So why wouldn't it be present in us, too? You know, what one aspect of fundamentalist evangelical Christianity that was probably the hardest for me to work through was the concept that mankind and also all of nature are fallen, that mankind mm. is, is sinful, and that the earth is just headed for destruction. That, mm-hmm. that was a really important part of our theology when I was growing up, and There was something in me from a really young age that, you know, I I never said this and I never verbalized it until I was an adult, but I, I just knew that wasn't true. I just knew that there was something going on in nature that was good, that was self-sustaining and expanding and growing. And I, I mean... From the time I was really little, astronomy was so fascinating to me. And and what was fascinating to me about astronomy was when I was taught that the universe is always expanding. You know, there's this growth that just is the foundation of everything on Earth. But I always kind of knew that there is something going on in nature that is good and beautiful. And so I I went into biology. I studied biology and chemistry in college. And that was its own, uh, you know, I had some challenges working through that. It was always an internal struggle. There was always a piece of me that felt as though in order to be a legit scientist, I would have to betray my faith and betray my spiritual community. And then Mm -hmm. on the flip side, if I were to be really the type of Christian 
that was the ideal Christian, I would have to betray my profession. You know, I'd have mm-hmm. to betray this field. That would that was very difficult to work through. And really, it wasn't until I very reluctantly let go of this belief in biblical inerrancy. It wasn't until then that I felt like I could kind of breathe a sigh of relief and feel like I wasn't living a double life. I mean, really, there was a sense. I had a sense of living, you know, oh, if my church friends found out what I really think about the earth, you know, yeah, you have this, almost this paranoia, like, oh, if my, and also if my professors were to find out, I mean, I I was kind of terrified all through college that my professors would find out somehow that I went to church at this conservative, you know, (laughs) this conservative place. That was no way to live. That was not going to work permanently. And and yeah, it was just a matter of time before that dissonance was too much, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. You know, it's been about four or five years since I, like, since I fully exited mm-hmm. um, the church that I was in. At this point, I I really would not call myself a Christian. And Part of the reason for that is that I don't think any of us really know what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> um, it like the the term has just been co-opted by so many. and i I just feel that the term is ready to be laid to rest mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for me personally. and but I can't deny, like the actual Jesus figure, that I read about in the Gospels, you know, mm-hmm. in the Gospel text, this guy who comes in and he just is ready to tear apart the religious structure of the day. You know, he's ready to tear apart the rigid forms and structures that people are still living in but aren't meaningful anymore. He wanted to take the this empty ritualistic structure and breathe life into it. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's what I see. That's part of what I see in his work. And the the symbolism of the cross, you know, this surrender, this just unwillingness to return violence with violence. You know, that that's beautiful and inspiring. And I will always be be, in a sense, a Christian, in the same way that I will always be an American. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I read the Bible through, cover to cover, every year growing up in, in homeschool. Like, I learned this stuff, and it was my first vocabulary. Mm-hmm. The, you know, this is what mm-hmm. held all of life for me. And that will never, like, the fact that that happened will never not be true. That will mm-hmm. always be a part of the way my brain works, right. you know? Yeah. So I I don't want to forget that because I think there is some danger in becoming blind to the fact 
that I am Christian. You know, it's it's almost like the idea of colorblindness in ra- race relations. Um, well, that's, yeah, that's not as helpful right? as you think it might be when people right. say that, right? Right. So if I, you know, for me to walk around and pretend that I'm not influenced by Christian principles, that would be a lie and it would mm-hmm. be really unhelpful mm-hmm. to, especially to, you know, to my friends who are not coming from this this same history with Christianity. So in a sense, I always want to be aware of the fact that this is my foundation, the fact that this is how I was raised. But I want to be aware in a thoughtful way, in a way that is willing and ready to interrogate it rather than just accepting it and mm-hmm. always merging into it. And I'm also at a place where I'm ready to read some other books other than the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like It's been a minute since I've read the Bible, and I don't have any intention of changing that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've been fully saturated. When I'm asked that question now, it's like, objectively, I would say pretty much the same thing that you're saying. At the same time, depending on who's asking me that, is like, what do I call myself? I kind of like to push at people a bit in a friendly way, but just to say, you know, that label that's important to you didn't seem very important to Jesus. Like, he never said, Mm -hmm. call yourselves followers of me. He never said, call it Christian. He never said, form an institution with creeds. He never said, finish this thing and call it the Bible. Right, Uh, right. And so many of those things, like you said, they're just sort of they're just part of our approach and part of our perspective and the lenses that we carry with us, even for those who exit the church. And I don't really, I don't consider, I haven't considered myself a Christian by that word for, you know, probably 10 plus years, but I'm still very compelled by the person of Jesus. I think the difference, the difference becomes that Jesus properly engaged is like anything else and that it doesn't prevent you from seeing goodness and truth and beauty and wonder anywhere else where you might find it. Right. Uh, it's not right. that it's like I this institution that. no longer has the market cornered on mm. on truth. In fact, mm-hmm. it I see it as connected to everywhere else that I'm finding truth and beauty and wonder and goodness. And so it becomes I think a a telltale sign that something's dangerous or toxic in faith when it's keeping us from seeing anything good outside of itself. Mm. Um, because if it's not all connected, it can't all be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, part of my exploration in cell biology, just a a really big part of it has been, you know, I I see in biology so many themes and patterns that extends to human life. Patterns of community, patterns of diversity, parts working together, and all of us who have seen a diagram of the interior of a cell, you know what I mean. There's so much cooperation and reciprocity that goes into being alive. As my theological certainty started to fall away, 
I found myself in a place where I wanted to find the most basic, concrete, common denominator that Mm -hmm. I could find. So all of this stuff about God and Jesus and heaven and hell, like, all right, if I'm not accepting this anymore the same way I did, what can I accept? Like, what do I know is true? And honestly, nature what is here in this tangible, concrete world, I was really drawn to that aspect of life, this concrete, natural aspect of life, especially forms of life that are not conscious, they're not decision makers the way that we are, and they don't even really have instincts that we can talk about. There's no like processing thinking system in a cell, but there are still patterns that pervade cell biology. And there's something about that that just makes me think like, if these themes are true down to this level, then they have to be, you know, they have to be foundational in some way. diversity, the ability of every cell in one human body, every cell in my body has the same genetic code, has the same uh, strand of DNA inside of it. But my skin cells somehow know how to be skin cells and my liver cells know how to be liver cells. So there's this complex system of turning on certain genes and turning off other genes in certain contexts. And it's very sensitive and very responsive to its environment. Mm-hmm. Um, that type of interplay where, you know, every every human is just starting out from a single-celled organism and every cell is going to have a copy of that exact same DNA strand. and. It just boggles my mind that so much diversity can come because of context dependence, just because of the environment. And that helps me to open myself up to the possibility that somehow diverse things are still unified, you know, that that we can be so different from each other, but still there's a common thread. I find that to be really inspiring, like inspiring this like respect for other religions other than the one that I grew up in, you know, respect for even different points of view. You know, when I really think about how much diversity comes from a unified foundation, and that's what we're made out of. You know, we're, we are made out of this stuff that is so uh, diverse and different, but still built on the same foundation. Of course that would be true for our relationships. Of course that would be true for the way we interact with each other. So it, it just softens the way that I approach my neighbors when I can keep that in, in mind. What's the most important thing you've learned as a result of observing those processes? 
Yeah, you know, one that I do keep coming back to is how how profoundly experience changes the life of a cell down to the genetic code. Cells are able to transfer genes to their neighbors, to their cellular neighbors, because of nothing other than proximity, actually. And there there have been studies done that show that this actually happens all the time in communities of cells, that a gene will actually be exchanged from one to another. And that on its own, when I started to think about that and think about like, well, what would be the implications if that really is true on a human level? It's kind of unsettling. Like, you know, my environment can just change me, you know? Uh, Mm. Like I kind of had this feeling like, well, don't I have any choice in the matter? But over time, if you watch a cell after it has acquired a gene just from lateral transfer from its neighbor, that cell actually is able at times to just give up that gene, to let it go. And the way that I read about it, you know, in a scientific journal, the wording was that the cell will release that gene if it no longer serves a meaningful function to Mm. that cell. And what provides meaning, that's, you know, that the individual decides that. We each decide that on our own. But if it doesn't serve me a meaningful function, then I'm free to let it go. But also, I will learn, I will acquire new things from my environment. I will pick things up. There's just this picture of, you know, a dynamic existence uh, when I think about life in that way. At the same time, it's so hopeful, you know, like I I can change over time. but it, it's also empowering, like, mm-hmm. and I can let go of those things if I if I choose to. Mm. You feel completely with this universe. You feel profoundly rooted in it and connected with it. You feel, in other words, that the whole energy which expresses itself in the galaxies is intimate. It is not something to which you are a stranger, but it is that with which you, whatever that is, are intimately bound up. That in your seeing, your hearing, your talking, your thinking, your moving, you express that which it is which moves the sun and other stars. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, really I appreciate I'm it. I'm really glad to be able to uh, to talk to someone in your field and to have that sort of speak to what we're doing and look forward to hearing from you in the future and what else you uncover. The conversation you just heard was with Elizabeth Jeffries. She's a PhD laboratory scientist and science writer And she's just released a book called Through the Kaleidoscope, How Exploring Cell Biology Transforms My Relationship with God. You can find more about the book and Elizabeth at her website, 
elizabethjeffreysrights.com. As I said earlier, this seemed like the right way to follow the substance of our previous episode, Reprise, which means this final slate of season three episodes has begun with two which specifically root us in the sciences of process. And I think you'll like the stuff that comes next, too. The other audio clip in use here is from 20th century British philosopher Alan Watts, who himself was driven to seeing patterns in nature just like Elizabeth. To be honest, I hesitated in using it here. Ultimately, I think it makes a thought-provoking bookend to the conversation about humans and cell biology. The conversation itself had felt more like an extended meditation to me to begin with, and this episode actually has been scored accordingly because the idea of doing a guided meditation but with a scientist was too cool to not attempt. But it struck me when I considered using a clip of Alan Watts to glue some of this together that we've never really pulled in an outside voice like this until now. In general, I think we're sensitive to things ever sounding preachy. We're really cautious on this side of evangelicalism about airing anything which might come across as dogmatic, as though we're just replacing former simplistic certainties with new ones, but it's a delicate thing since we're also careful to hold space for many possibilities in the perspectives we feature. That said, you can let us know what you thought. Hit us up on any of the various social media outlets, or check out our Patreon to support the podcast. There's lots of bonus conversations, interviews, and now podcast-style remixes of our producer Derek's music to be found there. DerekWeb.com will get you to music, merch, and tour dates. Our producer Jamie's work, much of which has been featured throughout this season, can be found at jamieleefinch.com. And that's all for now, so we will see you again next week, after church, for the airing of grief. Grief.